early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary... But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And she wept. She bent down over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying. One at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where have you laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not touch me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let us pray. God, open our ears. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. May we encounter the risen Lord Jesus Christ today, and may our lives be different because of that encounter, even as Mary Magdalene's life and the other followers of Jesus were made profoundly different by that initial encounter. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In the gospel narratives, taken as a whole, read across all four Gospels. The women disciples of Jesus are the first people to find the tomb of Jesus empty. 
Moreover, they are the only witnesses to the empty tomb who had seen Jesus buried and therefore could vouch for the fact that the empty tomb really was the tomb in which Jesus' body had been laid two days before. Now what I just read to you is a quote from Richard Bauckham, a New Testament scholar and historian specializing in the development of the early church. Bauckham goes on to point out, along with other scholars, of how this little big deal, (laughs) this little big deal, speaks to the historical authenticity of the early church's resurrection accounts. If the early church had wanted to make up a story that would be credible to Roman or Jewish people in the first century about the incredible claim that Jesus had been raised from the dead, sadly, they would not have women to be the primary witnesses. But women are the primary witnesses. In that patriarchal society, the witness of women was regarded as unreliable and often easily brushed aside. All that will change in the early church. The witness of women is not unreliable or brushed aside by Jesus, who welcomed women among his followers all along the way. In fact, we first meet Mary Magdalene in the Gospel of Luke in the 8th chapter, where she's introduced along with some other women as those who are following Jesus and discipleship. It's also suggested there that she and the other women mentioned have resources and are helping to support Jesus and his mission. She was among Jesus' disciples, and perhaps that's why we're given this little nugget here where Mary calls him, not my Lord, but my rabbi, my teacher, because that's what Jesus was. Jesus was her rabbi, her teacher. And here, the Jesus who welcomed women all along the way commissions this woman, Mary Magdalene, to embrace the vocation of an apostle. Which means, literally, to be an apostle means to be one who's sent on a mission with a message. Jesus says, go tell the rest what you've just seen and learned. And she does. She goes and tells the rest of them. The resurrection narrative in front of us this morning provides us with the occasion to spotlight an example of how the world can change and will change because of the resurrection of Jesus. Namely, of how Jesus regarded women as having authority alongside men. But moreover, the remarkable thing about the church's witness to the resurrection is that this is but one example of many around how things radically change after the resurrection of Jesus. For the church's witness to the resurrection goes beyond what we usually think of when we think about an article of religious faith. 
The early church regarded the resurrection as a historic act that happened in space and time that unleashed a revolutionary power in the world that will turn the world upside down, not by violence or human power plays, but by human beings becoming the children of God, sharing in the divine nature. That is the significance of what Jesus says to Mary when he says, I must ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The Gospel of John begins with a promise in the prologue that God's movement towards the world in Jesus will unleash the power for human beings to become children of God, sharers in the divine nature who are born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the resurrection of Jesus unleashes this power, and this is what Jesus reveals here to Mary. A new humanity is in play. And in John's account, Mary is the first one to hear it, and she must go and tell others. A new humanity is in play. When we talk here at Grace Chicago Church about the amazing way that God enables us to show the world a new way to be human, and we give examples of that by the things that we do in the city, like when we work with Breakthrough Urban Ministries, or when we demonstrate the gospel and word and deed in other ways, or, or when we simply create a space for people to come each week and come to this table, and as Lee reminded us, to be remembered, to be known, to be safe, to be loved by God. When that happens, when we become partakers of the divine nature, become children of God, we're made able to live into that amazing thing that Jesus says to Mary. Tell them that I've gone to my God and your God, to my Father and your Father, forevermore after the resurrection of Jesus, human beings have that tender, intimate relationship with God, the same tender, intimate relationship with God that Jesus does. And when we become confident of that, we become confident that God's Spirit lives in us moves in us, directs us, we truly do have the renewed imagination and the empowerment of that same Spirit to live in a new way, to be human in a new way, a way that wasn't possible before the resurrection of Jesus. A new humanity or new way of being human. This is the dynamic at play in our first lesson this morning from the book of Acts. That excerpt from Acts 10 that part of is a, is a excerpt from Peter's sermon in the house of Cornelius. It's part of a larger story. The sermon is being given in Cornelius's home. Cornelius is a Roman military commander. How Peter ends up there is for another day. Long story short, the Holy Spirit tells him to go 
Because Peter is supposed to now take the good news of Jesus' resurrection that comes first to the Jews and now offer it to the Gentiles. What I do want to call to your attention is the fact that it's because of the resurrection of Jesus that Peter finds himself in a new world where he ends up being welcomed into a home that in the old world would have been off limits to him. For Gentiles and Jews absolutely did not visit each other in their homes. They didn't do it. Their posture towards each other was best characterized as one of mutual enmity. In fact, when Peter gets there, and this isn't in the reading this morning, but it's in that same pericope, that same uh, passage. When Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, being catapulted there by the Holy Spirit, Peter says to Cornelius basically in so many words, Cornelius, you know and I know I'm not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to have invited me. And this is big trouble and we don't really know where it's going. There's no precedent for it. The resurrection opens up a category of being human that there is no precedent for. And that's what happens again and again in the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit catapults God's people into new territory and walls that divided people fall down and new relationships are made possible. And, 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 and by the way, along the way, the poor get cared for and those at the margins get brought into the center. It's a new movement of God's Spirit that is made possible by the resurrection of Jesus. So, Peter begins his sermon by saying, God has told me in a vision that I should regard no human being as profane or unclean. So here I am. That's a little bit earlier in the passage. It's not in your liturgy, but he says, God's told me that I should regard no human being as profane or unclean. And then Peter's sermon begins by saying, I know that God shows no partiality, but he welcomes people, all people, and the message of welcome is universal. What Peter does in Cornelius' home, that cannot happen without the resurrection of Jesus. That cannot happen without the resurrection of Jesus. That cannot happen except that Peter too became a child of God who can say to God, who can call God my Father in the same way Jesus calls God my Father and empowered by that same power that Jesus is empowered by. Some of you have heard me refer to my time of, of working on the west side of Chicago in the Austin neighborhood for a Christian community development ministry. I was the intern and administrative support person, had various things that I did. And one thing I did was to spend a lot of time with the pastor, Raleigh is his name, and he was just old enough to have been my dad. Before going to seminary and entering the ministry, Raleigh had been a commander in the army. I think a carryover from his time in the military was the fact that he liked to do administrative and visionary thinking on the go. So I would often drive him to meetings, airport, etc., and we would talk in the car. I would keep a mental checklist of to-dos while we did that. 
Raleigh is black. African American. Raleigh is always well dressed, carries himself with dignity and grace. Well, like, carries himself like an officer in the army. I am obviously white. At the time, I had a relatively unkempt beard. I have a picture of it if you want to see it. I had not much money for clothes. And for some reason, I wore a beat-up black fedora hat pretty much everywhere that I went. I was always a little disheveled, more so than now. Visually, Raleigh and I were quite the pair, making our way around and about. Once a person without much of a filter said to us that we looked like an odd couple, In that instance, and others like it, Raleigh, never wanting to miss a moment to bear witness to the reconciling work of Christ, would offer a quick summary of how the gospel broke down barriers and that what explained our connection and being together was the work of Christ, which reconciled two men across generations and race. He concluded by saying something that, something like this, that relationships that have been touched by Christ are to different degrees going to look odd. I think he even used the word weird. For those relationships are not yet common enough in our world. not yet common enough to be called normal. The early church had a burst of creative imagination. The Spirit has poured out upon them in relationships that could not have been possible before the resurrection, Jew and Gentile, become possible and become actual. Patriarchy is not taken down by some clever argument or some power play, but taken down by the common experience that Jesus used women to speak the gospel and to teach the gospel as well as he used men. Those are, but yet, and if you look at the early church too, you see that. Slavery as an institution is not demolished, sadly, right away. But you do see remarkable transformations in Roman households where slaves and free relate to each other on the same playing field. For 2,000 years, we've struggled to live into the power of the resurrection. And we continue to struggle today. Folks, family of God, Jesus has been raised from the dead. A new world of being human is open to us. We've been made by the power of God to be children of God, sharing in the divine nature. May God enable us to show each other in the world 
a new way of being human, a way of living that regards all human beings as loved by God and to be cherished, a way of being human that understands that the only appropriate use of power is for the benefit of others, especially those at the margins, a way of being human that embraces racial reconciliation and equality between women and men. The list goes on. These are the new ways of being human that were immediately coming into play in the earliest church setting. May we find the renewed imagination, the renewed tenacity and courage to live today into those same new patterns of being human, made possible only by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.